Today we conclude our series here on the book of Leviticus chapter 16, the sanctuary. We started five weeks ago with the road to Emmaus, where we saw that Jesus is all in the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is all about Jesus Christ, high and lifted up. And Jesus himself told us in the book of John that if we don't believe Moses, then how can we believe his words? And today we come to the conclusion. Two weeks ago, when we were specifically in the sanctuary, we learned that the altar represents the cross of Christ, where he cried out, it is finished. But we asked the question, if it was finished, then why is there still pain and suffering and death? And why hasn't he returned? And we answered that question because we saw secondarily that there is, it is finished. The plan of salvation is guaranteed. We have the victory but there are still things that are taking place. And we saw in the most holy that Jesus is the bread of life, that Jesus is the light of the world, that Jesus lives to intercede for us every day until he comes back in glory. We also learned that this plan of salvation illustrated in the sanctuary is also when we come to the most holy, it is also the second phase where we learned that in the end of earth's history, the sanctuary will be cleansed. And that corresponds with Jesus' second coming. When Jesus puts on his kingly robe and comes back as king of kings and Lord of lords. Think about it. In this second phase, the fate of the wicked and the righteous are sealed and the earth is destroyed. And that's where we left off in Revelation chapter 16. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16, beginning in verse 17. At the cross, all of us have the opportunity to come to Jesus. At the cross, when he died for us, the Bible tells us that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. But when probation is closed, the fate of every person is sealed. The fate of the righteous is sealed forevermore, and the fate of the wicked is sealed forevermore. However, though, look how the earth is left in Revelation chapter 16, verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done, second stage. And there was flashes of lightnings and sounds of peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there has never been since man came upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, of hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Most of us who have lived in Texas long enough have experienced hail. Most of the time it's been about dime size, sometimes golf ball size. Could you imagine 100 pounds of hail falling upon the earth? No building can stand. Now, remember, the plan of salvation did not catch God by surprise. 
Jesus Christ is the lamb slain since the foundation of the world. And God knew that one day he would have to rain down hell in judgment. And we're not going to look this verse up. But in Job 38 verses 22 to 23, look what God says to Job. Has thou entered into the treasury of snow? Or has thou seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle in war? Even in Job, he knew he had his treasury of hail ready for this day. The plan of salvation, the end of sin, has always been foretold by God. So sin did not catch God by surprise. He has been ready. But I do want you to open your Bibles with me as the Bible further describes the condition of the earth when Jesus comes back. Open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah chapter 4. The book of Jeremiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. 4.23. It says this, And I looked on the earth, and behold, it was what? Formless and void. He's prophesying about the end of time and to the heavens and they had no light. I looked on the mountains and behold, they were quaking and all the hills moved to and fro. We saw in Revelation that there will be no more mountains and the islands have fled. I looked and behold, there was no man and all the birds of the heavens had fled. And I looked and behold, the fruitful land was a wilderness and all its cities were pulled down before the Lord before his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not execute a complete destruction. For this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above be dark. Because I have spoken, I have purposed, and I will not change my mind, nor will I turn from it. At the sound of the horsemen and bowmen, every city flees. They go into the thickets and climb among the rocks. Every city is forsaken, and no man dwells in it. Two things that we point out. The earth will be formless and void like it was in Genesis before God created, and there will be no man found. Why? Because the wicked will all be destroyed. The righteous will be with God in heaven. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25, same book, but chapter 25 describing this event that we read in Revelation chapter 16. Beginning in verse 30. Jeremiah 25, beginning in verse 30. Therefore you shall prophesy against them all these words, and you shall say to them, The Lord will roar from on high, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his folds. He will shout like those who tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A clamor has come to the end of earth. Because the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh. As for the wicked, he has given them to the sword, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, evil is gone forth from nation to nation. A great storm is being stirred up from the remotest parts of the earth. Those slain by the Lord on that day will be from one end of the earth to the other. They will not be lamented, gathered, or buried. They will be like dung on the face of the ground. Will you shepherds and cry and wallow in ashes, you masters of the flocks? For the day of your slaughter and your dispersion have come, and you will fall like a choice vessel. 
Flight will perish from the shepherds and escape from the masters of the flock. Hear the sound of the cry of the shepherds and the wailing of the masters of the flock. For the Lord is destroying their pastures, and the peaceful folds are made silent because of the fierce anger of the Lord. He has left his hiding place like the lion, for their land has become a horror because of the fierceness of the oppressing swords and because of his fierce anger. One more visualization to the book of Revelation chapter 6. The book of Revelation chapter 6. Beginning in verse 12, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. I looked when he broke the sixth seal. I'm in verse 12, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. And there was a great earthquake, and the sun became a sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts unripe figs when it's shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the thrones and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. And who? is able to stand? We can answer that question right now. Who is able to stand? Those who have put their trust in the blood of the Lamb. Those who have come to the altar and confessed their sins. Those who have taken the blood of Jesus Christ and allowed His blood to take them into the most holy, to the throne of grace, to receive pardon, and help in our time of need, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ from the beginning all the way to the end, those who have surrendered their will to Jesus Christ will be able to stand in the fierce day of the wrath of Almighty God. But the wicked will ask the rocks and the mountains. The earth will be destroyed. No one to bury the wicked. It will be a wilderness, formless and void, destitute of all life because life is only found in Christ and all the living will be in heaven with him. In the first stage when Jesus Christ cried out, it is finished, we all had an opportunity to come. Salvation was guaranteed for you and for me, for those who accepted the blood of the lamb. In stage two in Revelation, where he cried out, it is done. Those who have surrendered to Christ will be eternally secured with him and those who have rejected the blood of the lamb will be eternally lost there's a stage three because in stage one the opportunity was open for everybody in stage two the fate of humanity was sealed but in stage three we deal with the instigator of it all satan himself and that's what we're going to look at Stage one, everybody, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to myself. For God so loved the world that whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Stage one is where we're at. Stage one is the invitation. Stage one is the opportunity for you to surrender 
to come home and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Stage two will be shortly upon us. And stage three is when he deals with Satan and the demons. Remember, the Bible tells us in Matthew 25, 41, that hell was prepared for who? The devil and his angel. But now the time has come to look at the fate of the instigator. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. Leviticus, chapter 16. The day of atonement that deals with the fate of the saved and the lost and deals with the fate of Satan. The first key verse we're going to look at is verse 10. And there's two things I want to point out in Leviticus 16.10. I'll read it. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. But it said, The goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented how? Alive. That is key. It shall be presented alive. Remember in verse 7, he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. One lot is for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. So there were two goats at the beginning, but one lot is for the Lord. And that one was slain and it cleansed the sanctuary. It cleanses you, it cleanses me. Verse 10 specifically says, it was presented alive before the Lord. And now this next key point trips a lot of people, but it shouldn't. It says, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Now that word atonement, the problem with the word atonement to most of evangelical Christianity is that they do not understand the three stages of the plan of salvation. They focus only on the cross of Christ. They don't understand what is happening in the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. Yes, the cross of Christ is complete. Yes, the cross of Christ is what saves us. Yes, the cross of Christ is everything to us. But if everything was finished on the cross of Christ, then why are we still here? God is administering that plan of salvation throughout. He is being patient so that everybody can come home and surrender to the blood of the Lamb. But atonement is not just the cross. Atonement is sealing the fate of the wicked and the righteous forevermore. Atonement also includes when we can finally get rid of Satan and sin for all eternity. And so that's what that means in verse 10. It doesn't mean that the scapegoat is, is forgiving our sins. It, it means that eventually sin will get totally wiped away. Satan and the devils and his angels. We'll make that case clear. Look at verse 20. Speaking of well, let's look at 15. Then he shall slaughter the goat for what kind of offering? Sin offering, which is for who? The people. Now, this is important when I presented the fact that the, the scapegoat is presented alive because just turn one chapter to 
17 verse 11. 17 verse 11. It says, for the life of the flesh is in what? In the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So this scapegoat never dies. This scapegoat cannot be representing Christ because it's repre it presented alive and never dies. And we see in 1711 that it is the blood that provides atonement. Now get to verse 20. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. So now the sanctuary is cleansed. He is now on the outside and he is about to present the live goat that never dies and never sheds his blood. The scapegoat is never killed in this earthly ritual. But look at, as we read verse 21, Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all the transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall be, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Now, an unhelpful reading of that, it sounds like we're confessing our sins to Christ, and he takes our sins away far from us. But this scapegoat never dies. Ironically, if the high priest is confessing his sins and that scapegoat represents Christ, that means that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross wasn't sufficient because the sanctuary has already been cleansed. It would mean that Jesus, the high priest, is confessing himself to himself once again. But the Bible clearly tells us in Hebrew that he died once for all for sin, one sacrifice. He didn't have to die multiple times. So the problem is that sometimes we have a Catholic understanding of confession, that this confession is, oh, please forgive my sins. We will learn here quickly that this confession is not, please forgive my sins. This confession is, you started it all. And I am witness that you are the one who started it all. That you are the one who instigated your pain and my suffering. You are the one who crucified Jesus Christ on the cross. You are the one who has caused the suffering of the universe. You are the one that has caused the suffering that you have felt, that I have felt, that the children we have buried, the loved ones that we have lost has been caused not by Christ. He bore our sins. He forgave our sins. But the instigator of it all was you. And the Bible makes this pretty clear. Open your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19, beginning in verse 15. Single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be confirmed. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the man, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord. Similar like the two goats, right? Shall stand before the Lord before the priest and the judge who will be in office in those days. The judge shall investigate thoroughly, and if the witness is a false witness, 
he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. The rest will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. Thus you shall not show pity, life for, uh, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren who stands before God day and night accusing him. That which he accused Christ, that which he wanted, the throne of Christ, that which he wanted, that which he ended up doing in crucifying our Lord has been declared that he is a false witness. Jesus has been forevermore the faithful witness. And that which he wanted on Jesus, he gets in the end. But the Bible makes it even clearer. Open your books to, open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24, beginning in verse 10. Now the sons of Israelite women, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the sons of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel struggled with each other in the camp. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name and cursed. So they brought him to Moses. Now, now his mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. Then you put, they, they put him into custody so the command of the Lord might be made clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who has cursed outside the camp, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head. Then let all the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses his God, then he will bear his sin. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of God shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien as well as the native, when he blasphemed the name, shall be what? Put to death. Who has been the biggest curser of God? Then Satan himself. You and I are not worthy to lay our hands on Satan because we are sinners as well. But there is one who has never sinned. There is one who has bore our sins. There is our faithful witness, our faithful brother who pleads on our behalf. And just like this man, the congregation had to lay their hands because they heard the blasphemy. Had they not laid their hands on this young man, they would have been in agreement with his blasphemy of God. But those who heard laid their hands as if saying, we want no part in the, of cursing God. We want no part of the penalty that is coming upon you. And we see this in the church today. If there is somebody in abhorrent adultery, let's say a leader is in adultery, and the church says nothing and does nothing about it, then we are in agreement with his adultery. That's why we discipline people. That's why, because we are saying to the church, the witnesses, and to God, we want no part of this leader committing adultery and believing that he can be in regular standing in the house of the Lord. So this man was commanded. They were commanded, all who had heard this cursing, put your hands on him, and who bore the sins? Was it God in this one? No. 
he bore his own sin for cursing God. And just like the priest in Leviticus 16, let's go back to Leviticus 16. That's what Jesus is doing. He is saying to the world, I have redeemed those who have trusted in me. Those who have trusted in me and those who have not trusted in me, their fate is sealed. But now we take care of the instigator. Now we take care of the one who started it all, who started the rebellion in heaven and took a third of the angels with him and who took an unnumbered host of the people with him. Now the one who started it all to stand before the throne of grace could count for what he has done. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Remember at the beginning how the earth was formless and void? Remember when we read at the beginning of the sermon that it was formless and void? That it was Jeremiah described it as a wilderness where no one is buried because they're all dead? Look at Revelation. Oh, and by the way, in Leviticus 16, the scapegoat is taken by a strong man into the wilderness. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Verse 1, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven and holding the keys of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound them for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he will not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. There's that strong man. That strong angel leading Satan into the wilderness that's made by the second coming, stuck here for a thousand years, unable to tempt anybody because nobody is alive and the righteous are in heaven. There, alone with his thoughts, needing to see what he had caused, what he has done. But he's not going to change his mind. Verse 11 in chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hades gave up the death the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and hate were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Romans 14 tells, tells us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Picture this. This is why the scapegoat in the wilderness, we never know what happens with it because in the earthly, we couldn't illustrate or God didn't want to illustrate the fate of Satan, but the New Testament reveals it to us. Now picture this. The new Jerusalem has come down. The wicked are all standing before the throne of God outside the city. Satan is standing there before God. The instigator of it all. The cause of all this trouble, all the suffering the world has gone through, all the suffering you have gone through, 
now he has to stand before God and give an answer for his rebellion. Now, I've shared this before with people in this church, but I want to share it to the larger audience. You know, sometimes in, the, in Leviticus 16, people aren't, aren't satisfied, but the lamb has always represented Christ. How could that be Satan in this point? Well, the Bible always uses double imagery. Do you know that the Bible represents Jesus as a serpent? Did you know that? When Moses lifts up the serpent in the wilderness, all those who look after being bitten, and, that, and Jesus said that in John chapter 3, if I be lifted up, like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, if I be lifted up, did you know that Lucifer is a bright and morning star? In Isaiah chapter 14, and we'll look at that. But guess who else is the morning star? Jesus in Revelation chapter 22. Do you know that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? But the devil is represented as a lamb-like beast with two horns speaking like a dragon in Revelation 13. Constantly, Satan is trying to imitate the real deal. Jesus is the Prince of Life. Satan is the prince of this world. Satan wanted the throne. The throne belongs to who? Jesus. So there's always these constant parallels. And so in, in the book of Job, and this is where I'm going. In the book of Job, who started all the drama? Sa Satan did. Right? In the book of Job, it's just a, a small story of the larger story. Satan started all the drama. And so at the end, Job never knows he was Satan. In fact, in the end, Job never finds out exactly why he went through what he went through. God basically told him, and God didn't say it this way, but in humanity, God basically told him, shut up and trust me. Because look, you don't always know why you go through the suffering you're going through. You don't always know why you're going through the things you're going through. But the Bible, and I know Jesus well enough that I'm going to trust him even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Like Job says, even if you kill me, looking him in the face, even if you kill me and you will I trust. That's the deep relationship we need with Jesus. That even if you kill me and you will I trust. So at the end of Job, God calls Job to give an account of himself. But if you ask, if you read what Job is, what God is asking Job, that's like me asking my two-year-old, how come you didn't fix the car? How come you didn't throw out the garbage? How come you didn't build this house and pay the bills? I would be asking her things she's not capable of. So my theory that I'm growing more and more comfortable is that God is not speaking really to Job. He's speaking to Satan, who instigated it all. Look at some of the comments made by God in Job chapter 38. I'm going to read it. I have it all here because I don't take every verse. But it's 38 through the yeah. end of the chapter. Picture this. At the end of time, all the sinners are out there with Satan and all his demons. All the righteous are in the New Jerusalem. Picture this. Satan has to make an account for himself. God says, who is this that darkens counsel but with words without knowledge? 
Satan, now gird yourself up like a man, and I will ask you when you instruct me, woe are you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who is it to set the measurements of the universe so you know, or you, or have you stretched out the line in it? Or what are the bases of which is, it is sunken? Well, who laid the cornerstone? In verse 36, who has put wisdom in the innermost being? or given understanding to the minds. Now look at this one. This is definitely talking to Satan and not to Job. Chapter 40, verse 2. Will you find, will the fault finder, the accuser of the brethren, contend with the Almighty? Satan, will you contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Now gird up your loins, and I will ask you, when you instruct me, Satan, will you all really annul my judgment that you may be justified? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? Can you thunder like a voice like mine? Or down yourself, Satan, with imminence and dignity, and close yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowing of your anger, and look on everyone who is proud and make them low. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust, bind them in the hidden place. If you can do this, Satan, then I will confess to you that by your own hand you can save yourself. And what will Satan say? Not. You know what he will do? He will kneel down, for at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that you've been right all along. Can't say nothing. He who wanted to be the creator, he who wanted to be like the most high, he who wanted all the adoration and the praise and the worship, God, he's going to have to answer before God. He's going to have to stand before God and God's going to say in front of everybody, do something. You know, Job responds. Job responds, and I repented in sackcloth and ash. Well, Satan will repent. Out of his mouth will come out the words, Jesus is Lord. But it's not a genuine repentance. And God will eventually turn him into ashes. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. It's a very familiar verse, but we hardly ever read the second half of it. Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. Speaking of Satan, How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? You have been cut down to the earth, you who weaken the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recess of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrown down to Sheol, to, re to the recess of the pit. Look at verse 16. Picture all the wicked around Satan. He can't answer God. Look at verse 16. Those who will see you gaze at you. They will ponder over you saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home, they're going to look at him and be like, 
You, you thought you were almighty. And look at you shriveling before the majesty of Christ. You who thought you were all powerful. You who weakened the nations are shriveling and cowering right here. When you have your chance face to face with all of us at your side. Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Another part of Ezekiel 28 that we don't emphasize as much. Look at verses 17 through 19. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you, and it has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth. In, in the eyes of all who see you, all who know you among the people are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will cease to be forever. No more. Iniquity is done. Sin will not rise up a second time. Three stages. We're in stage one. Now is the time to surrender. Stage two seals the fate of humanity. But stage three seals the fate of sin and Satan. We're almost closing. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. 7 through 10 now. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came upon the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beasts and the false prophets are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It is finished at the cross. It is done at the fate of the wicked and the righteous. And now look at Revelation 21, 1 through 8. After all this is done. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Remember, he said, Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And he, his sanctuary will be with us. And he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to those who thirst from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and they will be my sons and daughters. The first, it is finished at the cross, guaranteed us the plan of salvation. The second one sealed the fate 
of the righteous and the wicked. And the third one says, that's it. Satan is destroyed. So are sin and sinners. And now we live in perfection. It is done. I love this ending quote that I'm going to read to you from the last paragraph of the book, Great Controversy. The controversy now is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats throughout the vast of creation. From him who created all flow life, light, and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is love. That's the hope I wait. No more pain. No more suffering. No more kids vomiting at home. I get to see my father again, my grandmother, those we have lost. The cross is not just that he died for me. The cross is that he died for me and has a plan. But not only for me, but for the destruction and eradication of Satan and sin forevermore. Iniquity will not rise again. We will live 10,000, 10 billion, 10 trillion, 10 quadrillion years in the harmony and the peace of the love of God forever and ever again. Christ didn't start the pain and suffering. He ended it. Satan's not going to get away with starting this and not paying the price. He will pay the price for the rebellion he began. And he will have his chance to show his might. But against the might of the Almighty, he doesn't stand the chance. My desire and my appeal is that no matter what age you are, a young kid or a senior citizen, whether you've been in the faith recently or you've been in the faith for a long time, continue to trust in the Lamb of God. No matter how dark it gets, don't let go. You don't want the fate of the wicked. And try to bring as many with you as possible. Our theology is rich and deep, and it's not built on cunningly devised fables. Our theology is built on the rock and the word of God. But it's not a shallow theology. It is a deep theology because for all eternity, we shall be studying what Christ has done for you and for me. So I pray that each and every one of us will surrender daily to him who gave it all so that you and I can live. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you that in your word you teach us why you're taking so long from coming back. But you're patient because you want nobody to perish. But in each stage, you will take care of it thoroughly and completely. We await the end of all stages, Father that we can live in a world that you have promised with no more sin, death, or pain. Father, if there's anyone in the valley of decision today, may they come to me or to an elder and say that they want to be baptized, rebaptized, or want to study for baptism. Father, this world is getting dark, but you are the light of the world. 
and we need to trust in you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.